told the first service, we got some tissues down here. I'm going to pre-pull mine because I have no doubt that I'm going to need it today as I've already felt some tears welling up in just the declaration of God's holiness. This is an uncomfortable sermon for me for several reasons. I'm going to tell you these reasons. Reason one, this is not the sermon I had written uh, when Pastor Stewart said, you know, I got the chance to fill in, which I, I truly love and enjoy. I had, a, I had a sermon lined up, ready to go. Like, didn't even need to do any further study. I've been holding on to it for a while. And as I prayed, I felt the Lord press in me that, no, that wasn't going to be the sermon for today. And so you come down to Go Week, which is the week you've got to write your sermon. And different pastors have different objectives. Mine is to be done Thursday by 4 o'clock needs to be printed, done, prayed upon, and now ready to go. Thursday at 5 o'clock, I was finished. I had written the sermon, handwritten all of it out, scratched out notes, retyped it, printed it, ready to go, feeling fantastic about the word that I felt God put on me. Got up, there was no one in church, feeling good, kind of singing a little bit out loud. And about the time my hand hit the light switch, I felt that pressing upon me going, you know, that was real nice, but you know you're not taking those notes up there Sunday, right? I'm like, are you serious? I've been working on this all week and I don't get to take these notes. And I'm at this point having an out loud conversation, just heads up. That's how the Lord and I communicate, where I'm out loud. And I just felt that peace of, nah, not this time. So I'm a rogue pastor this morning. I've got no fence around me. I've got no paper that says at the top left, don't say anything stupid. That is not present. And that's uncomfortable. It's very exposing uh, because I don't know what I'm going to say next. Um, I know I have, a, I have a verse. I have a few verses. I even marked on the side of my Bible some verses that you know, I felt the need to share with you. But I, just, I, I like being up front with where I'm at. It's important for you to know my vulnerability. And so that being said, I want to share a scripture with you. Then I'm going to share some, uh, some stuff out of this, this book and talk about that for a moment. And then we're just going to simply see what happens next. So First uh, Samuel chapter 16, two verses, verse 13 and 14. Arise, anoint him. Nope. That was 12. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, him being David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit of the Lord tormented him. Amen. I love the book of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Judges. I love Love the history component of God's work through the movement of the Hebrew peoples. I, I, I just, I crave it. And I wanted so much to come in here this morning and do language and location and date and revelation and felt all of it just pass away. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. So we have, before we can do that, we have to determine what is the Holy Spirit? Well, Holy Spirit's God, right? Are we in agreement? Third person of the Trinity, Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, co-equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. 
It's the Athenaean Creed, first paragraph, and you can read that. The Holy Spirit is God. I don't know that we do a good job in particular pockets of Western culture of embracing the Holy Spirit as God. We tend to feel a bit Pentecostal, feel a bit too tonguey, and we don't like it. And we kind of, we acknowledge it, we love it, you know. But it's kind of like that uncle that's always at that family event that you love him. I'm probably not going to spend the whole time talking to him, though. And that's kind of, I, I, that's my opinion of where we leave the Holy Spirit. Is we love it, but it's, it's, we love him. But we don't tend to wake up in the morning and pray, Holy Spirit, lead God and direct my every footstep into your service to share your gospel. We probably don't do that. Uh, I want to read to you. This is an excellent book. It's called The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit by Renee Pash. I believe he's Swedish. Somebody asked me, is that a guy or a girl? It's a guy. It's a guy. So this is a fantastic book. And I want to share some of you some things uh, about the Holy Spirit that you might not know. Right here in chapter 1. And this is, it says, the Holy Spirit acts as a person. That's act, not like the book of Acts. Acts like a person. And I have scripture references for all these things, which is one of the things I love about this book. He dwells in the believer. He teaches. He brings to remembrance. He testifies. He convicts of sin. He guides into all truth. He hears. He speaks. He shows. He inspires scriptures and speaks through them. He calls to ministry. He sends forth his servants. He forbids certain actions. And he intercedes. The next section. Names which are given to reveal the personality of the Holy Spirit. He is called my spirit, the spirit of God, the spirit of the Lord, the breath of the Almighty, the spirit of the Lord God, the spirit of your father, the spirit of, the spirit of Christ, and the spirit of his son. The next section, names that demonstrate the Holy Spirit's qualities. I love this one. The spirit is the spirit of wisdom, of counsel, of understanding, of supplication, of worship, of truth, of comfort, of life, of adoption, of faith, of might, of sound judgment, of revelation, of power, of eternity, of grace, and of glory. This is the hard one. The Spirit can be treated like a person. He can be lied to, tempted, grieved, outraged, blasphemed, and called upon, and resisted. It's a lot of stuff about the Holy Spirit in there, right? Uh, and there's, like I said, a scripture in each of those to support. I would encourage, if you do not have that book... I have read a lot of books on this topic, uh, the third person, the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit. This is the most complete one I've ever read. I mean, it's really, it's right up there with Sinclair Ferguson's writing on the Holy Spirit. It's truly fantastic. And we're going to dive into a little bit of this today. We're going to start in the Old Testament and progress to the New Testament, because after all, we are what comes out of the New Testament church as, you know, Christian, Gentiles. 2,000 years after the death of Christ. But I want us to start in Samuel because something is very revealing in this passage in Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 13. We see Samuel taking the horn of oil and anointing David in front of his family, in front of his brothers. And I just kind of personally can't help but chuckle at that a little bit. Because can you imagine being like a family event? And some guy shows up and is like, no, nah, this guy's going to be king. And like anoints him in front of everybody. Like if you're a brother, you're probably pretty upset. 
But it's just a funny moment to think about the humanity that is around all things and, and emotion and feeling. But it says, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Now, if you're a highlighter or a circler or a writer, I would write down the words rushed upon. There's something that we have to bear in mind and understand. There is no promise of indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament times. Okay? And to, to crack that open a little bit more, the New Testament doesn't really start until the death and resurrection of Jesus. Okay, now I know how we divide it in our Bibles. It's perfectly fine how we divide it. But the point is, all the way up until Christ died, bloodshed, resurrected, do we see we're still bound under the law. And Jesus will go on to expand upon that later. But we don't see a promise of the Holy Spirit that will indwell us. That being said, Ezekiel in chapter 36 does tell us that there is a day coming where God will remove the heart of stone and place in one a heart of flesh and that the Holy Spirit will come. We also see in Jeremiah a promise of the coming spirit. A promise of the coming new covenant, which for me, I always love that scripture because having worked in a, a predominantly Jewish world for a period of time, that was one of those things. It's like, guys, I don't know what to tell you. It's right there in Jeremiah. You don't have to believe me when I say Jesus is Lord and that the Messiah was coming and that there's a new covenant. All you've really got to do is read Ezekiel and Jeremiah, and then you and I can high five when we finally agree because that's what it says. And so we see this rushing upon in the Old Testament. And it's not a permanent fixture. Uh, if, if you start to recall in your head, we see the Spirit rushing upon Gideon and Judges. Uh, we see the Holy Spirit rushing upon Samson before he would go to whooping on some Philistines. We see the Spirit rushing upon Ezekiel. And what's fascinating about the Old Testament prophets is you'll see it repeated very often that it'll say, and the Spirit was upon Ezekiel, and then he'll write a column, and then a few columns down, you'll see it again, and the Spirit of the Lord was upon Ezekiel, a few more columns, meaning that's showing us that the Spirit is not a permanent fixture in the life of the Old Testament persons. This is very important because we know that there is a change coming. That change, again, is prophesied in Ezekiel, uh, carried out through Jeremiah, and will come with Christ. And so, in reading down a little bit farther in verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a spirit of torment came upon him. Now, if I were you, I would want to hear more about that tormenting spirit. Right, Because when I read that, I'm like, I've got a half mind to not even read that section. So I cut the verse in half. That's a fantastic study. We'll have to do it at a different time. But that's its own thing. Rather, what I want us to really focus in right now is that the Holy Spirit is able to rush upon and depart from in the days of the Old Testament. David was very aware of this. If you go to Psalm 51, I don't, I don't know, if y'all, who's read Psalm 51? Just hands up. 
good. Good. Go. If you haven't read it, please go home and read it. Um, it is David in his brokenness. You know, he has had a man killed. He's committed adultery. Is the baby's going to die. Every nasty thing that can happen is ultimately welling up. And Nathan the prophet comes to David and tells him that beautiful story. Y'all know the story? Anybody know the story? It's about, yeah, y'all know the story. I'll tell you real quick anyway. About how the man, rich man, comes in and, and he's, got a, he's got a buddy coming over and they need to prepare a sheep. And instead of the rich man using his sheep, he uses the poor guy's sheep. The poor guy loved the sheep, kept it in his house, fed it with a bottle. It was his best friend. And the rich man came and took that sheep. And David was outraged. Jumps up off the throne and screams out, bring me this man. For he needs to die. And Nathan, man, I can only picture this, like in my mind, Nathan just jumps up, you're that man. I can tell you, you almost never want to be that man. Like just the words in general, that man, whether good or bad, that's not usually where you want to be. And so David, in all of that, writes Psalm 51. I had a pastor uh, who who was a a friend of mine who uh, whenever he would do um, marital counseling and usually for a couple that someone had not been faithful would tell the offender take Psalm 51 go out in the woods and read it 51 times and then come back to me and most people never make it much past the first half of Psalm 51 before you're just broken and crying and feeling the Lord's presence but in Psalm 51 David cries out to God do not let your spirit depart from me so even David was aware that even though the spirit rushed upon him and stayed with him throughout the duration of his life there was a capability of the Holy Spirit departing from David and I got to tell you can you imagine Saul Saul was aware the Spirit departed from him, right? Do we agree? Yeah, I like participation. So you guys shake heads, yell amen, something. Um, I, need, I need to know you're out there. Saul was aware, and, you know, one of the servants suggested some music therapy. And Andy and I were just chatting, like, right before the service, and Andy made a good point. It's like, that goes to show you the importance of music, and and the life of a believer, that the only thing that could soothe Saul's spirit was when David would come and play an instrument before him. And, I mean, the evidence is right before it. I don't know that the music is the soothing element, but the presence of the Holy Spirit within David was. And I believe music goes with that because we see the evidence all through Psalms of praise, of giving God glory through song. Saul was unfortunate in that he felt, knew, was aware that the Spirit had departed. David was aware that the Spirit came upon. And now we start to work our way into a transition, right? We're going to start moving into the New Testament, and we start to unpack a little bit more of this person of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit rushing upon and departing, well, that's, that's Old Testament, Right? Right? I want to make sure y'all are sure. Like, I need you to be sure, sure. Because this is going to be challenging for everybody if you're not sure, sure. So, the Holy Spirit is no longer in a place of rushing upon. It is going to come into a place of permanence in the life of the believer. Uh, Jesus says concerning the Holy Spirit, 
over here in John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth to whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells in you and will be in you. For the life of the believer, the Holy Spirit is to be a part of your everyday life. It is not meant to be at Christmas or Easter or whenever you're feeling really good about a good deed that you just did. Rather, the Holy Spirit is the fixture in the life of the believer. But do we live this way? Because I challenged you earlier, do you pray in the manner of being led by the Holy Spirit? I was young when I was, when I was saved. I don't even really like to say that sentence, you know, when I was saved. Because it's just, there's a preconceived notion with it. It's loaded. I'm using a lot of language. It's very loaded language. And I really wish I had time to unpack all of it. Um, but I was saved at 10 years old. I hope you remember the day that you gave your life to Christ. I was in fifth grade. Uh, I was at Holland Baptist Church uh, before it burnt down. I was the last one baptized in it before it burnt down. I don't know what that means. But... <laughs> It's what happened. I don't know what to tell you. It's just what happened. And um, I was recently listening to a professor talk about how they could date New Testament churches by where they put the baptismal pool. That's fascinating. In my church growing up, the baptismal pool would have been off to the left and kind of obnoxiously in the middle. You know, it wasn't behind because my church that I grew up in was 100 years old before it burnt down. And I remember that day of going forward at 10 years old and proclaiming, I want to follow Jesus. And I meant it with all my heart. And though there'd be a season of stupid that's probably lasted until today, it's, I meant it. But the reality is, how much does a 10-year-old know? Y'all know any 10-year-olds? Yeah. Good luck convincing them why they can't just censored myself so far down just now. Y'all saw that happen. Like, I just nicked it way down. Good luck explaining to them why they should do what they should do and not do what they want to do. See me later and I'll fill in that gap for you. But I'm proud of myself. It's the first time. So, my point being, at 10 years old, I'm not saying we're not capable of receiving salvation. I'm not at all saying that. You are capable. But what are you proclaiming truly? Are you simply repenting because you recognize that you're a bad person? I said this in the early service. Didn't realize I said it. Sunday school pointed it out. Mine's will say it to y'all. Before Christ, you're just a trash person. Okay? That, that's just what it is. And I understand it's not nice language. I'm not trying to use nice language. I'm trying to show you my deep love for you by representing what the Scripture says. And Paul calls our works just filthy rags. Okay, we are nothing without the bloodshed of Christ. And even with the bloodshed of Christ, most of us aren't great people. Okay, we're just redeemed, forgiven, regenerated, sanctified into the person that Christ desires us to be, should we be obedient. Obedience is a key word today. And so as a 10-year-old, I realized there's a lot that I didn't understand, that I went forward and truly gave my life to Christ and truly meant it, but it was much more in repentance of. And I shared with the first service, this is important, the, the most profound atheist in the world understands there's a spiritual disconnect between them and humanity. 
Okay, you don't have to be a Christian to realize you're a pretty garbage person. You just don't have to be. I mean, again, it doesn't even matter what religious persuasion you are. Everyone recognizes there's something in me that is just not naturally good. Okay, that is in rebellion. And now the atheist doesn't understand that that's in rebellion to God himself. The average social person would just believe it's a rebellion of I'm fighting what I want versus what I should do. But the reality is it doesn't take Christ falling upon you for you to realize there's something wrong with me. Now, don't misunderstand. It is when the Spirit of the Lord does fall upon you that you recognize the grievous debt of your sin. And that's when you move into a place of confession, belief, obedience, and regeneration. What I want us to hone in on today is the work of the Holy Spirit in your own personal life. If the Holy Spirit is not present in your life, you are not saved. Okay? I understand. y'all. I'm using y'all, you, we language. Understand, that's always... Like, It'd be in a mirror if I had a mirror. I don't have a mirror. I have y'all. Okay, so it's, it's directed inward as well. We have to understand there are not levels of salvation. There is no level of God is great. Yes, indeed, God is good. There's no level of Jesus is great, died for my sins. That is good. Then there's no level of Holy Spirit is great, dwells in me. It's together. It's all or none. There are no pieces of the Godhead. Now you're taking God and dividing him into three different deities. And I don't mean Godhead deities. I mean pagan deities. Because that's not how it works. It is all encompassing. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you do not have Christ. Okay, I'm going to read that for him in a minute. And it's in Romans 8. You can start reading there if you want. When we go to Romans, you know it's real. Because Romans gets to it and quick. And I want you to understand, if you simply repent, I'm good, I'm not going to obey, I'm good, I'm just going to kind of warm my spot in the pew, I'm good, you're filled with lies. That is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit presses us, guides us, commands us, beckons us into the service of the Lord. And you might be sitting there kind of wondering, well, gee, I don't know if I've got the Spirit. You ever wondered that? If you're honest, you better be nodding your head because you should have, if you haven't wondered it, let's read this next part. Um, let's, let's flip over to Galatians chapter 5. Starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, any good American Christian can go, ah, I can check off most of those boxes. You can fake some of them, right? Man, I've known people that have faked loving people forever. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Hey, look, I'm a, we're going to be real this morning. I hope nobody in here, but a lot of people fake loving their wives every day. Good luck with that one. Y'all go home and sort that. But I'm just saying that that's a reality. You ever met a couple that's like, we're riding it out until our kid turns 18. And they told you that? Have y'all ever met that? Seriously, nobody? I've met this. Like, I've encountered that a lot. I'm like, well, that's not love. Let's just, I don't even know what you're doing. You're just driving a car going nowhere, you know. But you can fake some of this stuff, or at least... Not let those around you know you're not doing it. Like I said, love's a good one. 
Joy, you can fake joy. I can be happy for five minutes. Peace, peace is harder. But you can fake peace. You know, just don't put you around something that makes you unpeaceful. Right? Kindness, kindness and goodness, kind of the same thing. Not really, close enough. You can fake kindness and goodness. Give a few dollars to Salvation Army. Give a candy bar to somebody that's homeless. You can kind of fake that. It's the next group that's hard. Patience, faithfulness, gentleness, and then the big one. The one that really none of us like. You ready? Self-control. Ooh, none of us like self-control. Right? Right? Just heads up, you're controlling yourself now by not yelling out right. That's good, but self-control is hard. Here's the sticking point of why I'm making a big deal about this. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you have all of these things. You don't get to pick your favorite three. You don't get to pick the two that you're good at. Right? Because I'm good at a couple of these. Like, I'm sure I'm good at one. A couple of them. <laughs> Went through that list. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know. But point is, if they're not present in your life, there is no work of the Holy Spirit in your life. If there's no work of the Holy Spirit in your life, there's no salvation in your life. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. Most of us have spent our entire Christian lives hinging it on a moment that we felt bad and we ran down and said, I feel bad for hurting God's feelings. And then we didn't do anything about it. There wasn't any regeneration that followed it. Do understand, you can't earn the Holy Spirit. Remember, there was a guy that tried that. He tried to buy it. Boy, that would be convenient to our Western lives. Then we could justify why we work seven days a week, ten hours a day, and don't have time to be a witness for God. Yeah, I understand that stings, but that's the reality, is that would be so much easier. It's not what we're called to do. Rather, I need us as a body of believers today, right now, to recognize if you do not have all the fruit of the Spirit, if you have no gifting of the Holy Spirit, which was addressed three weeks ago in your Sunday school class, including the gift of prophesying in tongues, if that freaks you right out, you might not have the Holy Spirit yourself. Those are gifts, guys. Those are gifts. It is listed. I understand there's some weight that goes with those. We can, we can talk about that later. But the reality is, if you don't have the fruit, if you don't have any of the giftings, and you've repented, but don't have these other things, there's no evidence for salvation there. That is hard. That is hard. We don't really talk about this, do we? You ready for the famous last words? Congregation, repeat after me. If you feel bad for your sins, just close your eyes and say this prayer and you'll be in eternity with Christ Jesus. Wow, that's a lot of loud, a lot of loud lies is what that is. That is not what sends you into eternity with Christ Jesus. Repeating a prayer after a man that's just as flawed as you are brings you no salvation. It only brings you to a point of pitifully feeling like you're going to be okay when you meet the maker. That is inaccurate. You want to know what salvation looks like? It's the fullness of the Holy Spirit enacted in your day-to-day life as given to him, as directed by him, and seeking to go out and do the one thing that Jesus asked us to really pay attention to. Ready? Obey. Oh, we don't like obey. Remember, we already talked about obey. When I said, when we did the, the verse where Jesus said that the Holy Spirit's coming, first two things he said is, love me and obey my commandments. We are good at feeling bad. We are good at repenting privately so no one else finds out. We are bad at truly yielding 
to the Spirit. And we withhold ourselves and we keep it distance because we believe, my we, it's just a broad statement, that as long as I'm repenting, I'm in good shape. There is no evidence of truth there. Now, you should repent. That I'm not coming against repenting. Uh, what I am saying is that salvation comes with a cost. And Jesus in Luke chapter 14 says in verse 33, So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Can you be a Christian and not a disciple? Let's hear it, congregation. Can you be a Christian and not a disciple? No. Can you be a baseball player that's never joined a team? No. You're just a guy really good at playing baseball with himself, okay? That doesn't work. That does nothing. Like you got, you bat a thousand, you pitch perfectly. It's worthless. If you are not a disciple of Christ, you are not a Christian. The cost of discipleship is total surrender. We like to say, well, I surrender almost all. The word is all there, guys. All day, all the time, all is all. Pretty sure I took that from Stuart, just a heads up. Like I, I seem to recall that. It's total, and we refuse it and trick ourselves into believing our repentance was enough. I'm going to share with you a verse here that will make this all the more real. If you flip to Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 1, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples, note the word disciples, and said to them, did you not receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we've not even heard of the Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who would come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came to them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, and there were about 12 men. I hope what you just heard, if you've never read this, is that there were 12 men claiming to be a disciple of Jesus, claiming to be a disciple that had never received the Holy Spirit. They were baptized into repentance only. I am asking you, I am pleading with you today, ask yourself, what are you baptized into? Are you baptized into repentance only? Do you simply feel bad for your transgressions? Do you? Is that it? Is that what draws you into church? Is I feel bad, I must go. That's very Catholic of us. That's not what God calls us to be. God calls us to be filled with the Spirit. Jesus says, I've got to go so that the Helper will come and he will dwell in you. Guys, gals, from the deepest parts of me, I am begging you, reflect on your life because the evidence is in the words, obey. If you do not have the fruit of the Spirit, if you do not have the gifts of the Spirit, if you are unwilling to obey the command of give all, not leftovers, what are you going to do 
when you punch the time card and stand before God and go, well, Lord, I work 10 hours a day, six days a week. And God's going to go, I suspect, storing up all that wealth that I was very clear for you not to do right. Depart from me, I don't know you. Guys, there's follow through. Any of y'all ever swing a bat? You stop here, you're not doing anything. You have to follow through, okay? I know it's a lot of baseball references today, but you gotta follow through. Without follow through, there's no salvation. This is harsh to hear. Let's chase it with scripture. You ready? Go to Romans chapter eight, starting in verse nine. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. It's right there, guys. If you do not have the spirit of Christ in you, if you are unwilling to obey, if you are unwilling to forsake all, if you are unwilling to share his word, if you're unwilling to do the last thing he said, which was go to the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but you've repented, you are still unsaved because the evidence in John 15 of the vine and the fruit and the vine maker suggests that there is no evidence in your life of the regenerated believer in Christ and you're sitting here some 50 years unsaved because they found the release that you needed in repentance only. Essentially, we've treated God as a glorified counselor, a therapist that makes us feel better, that only asks us questions about our life so that we would make better life decisions. That is inaccurate. Congregation, I have wept over these scriptures. I have, before both services, I'm sitting here empty, going, I got nothing. I can't go do this. I don't, the words are a struggle in my mouth today because this is so big and I don't know how to make you understand. If, if I could shake it into you, I, you all would have shaking baby syndrome. I, I would just, whip you to pieces. If I could smack you hard enough to get it, I'd be smacking left and right. What can a pastor do before a congregation to plead the case of you've got to see this? Your repentance alone didn't do it. Now, you can't earn it, okay? You got to understand this is not a justification by works. That's not what this is. It is a yielding to the holiness of Christ to love the Shema, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus adds, and your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, the Holy Spirit must dwell because you're in obedience with the commands, But we withhold obedience. We cry out, I'm saved. I don't know about the rest of you. And yet, there is no evidence of the Spirit. There is no fruit. You're not joyful. You're miserable. You go home and you hide it. You fake it here in church. I was listening to a song. I I, I always spend the week preparing, listening to music. And there's a band that none of y'all know. It's called Impending Doom. That's what it sounds like. And it's, it's a Christian band. It's a great band. Love this band. And they have a song called My Light Unseen. 
And it's a slower song, right? And in it, he's just talking about the, the unfolding of his life. And he gets to the chorus, and the guy says, My light unseen. And then he follows it with this background scream, Oh God, please help me! Because my light is unseen. Guys, if the light of Christ isn't in you, your light's unseen, and may God help you because you're worthless to the kingdom and you're a decaying body that's hellbound. Your light is the evidence of the Spirit in you, to the obedience of the commands, to the pledge to serve a holy God. You can't justify away laziness to God. We will try. I was busy on Wednesdays, couldn't help out. It's busy on Sundays, couldn't help out. That's just a vague example. I don't care about that. You know where you're at right now. You know. I don't need to stand here and tell you all the things you haven't done. I am telling you, your light unseen is the very dimly lit spark of hell that's ever before you because you're rejecting the holiness of the Holy Spirit. If that light is seen in you, then the Spirit is filled in you. You know it, and you're led by it, and you pray, Holy Spirit, drive me forward into your service. Do you care about that? I said in that first service, the worst thing we ever did was wall in the church. We decided to hide the glory of God amongst ourselves instead of letting the world hear what we have to say concerning the holiness of God. Is your light unseen? And the thing is, I know right now, I know someone in here, probably 20, are feeling that pinch within the deep part of your stomach that you know your light's unseen. And you probably, in the darkness of night, scream out, Oh God, help me. Help me. Repent. Today, you don't have to go on like this. If you've never felt the Holy Spirit in you, repent. Call on the name of Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Receive the Holy Spirit. Andy's going to come up and we're going to sing a closing song. I asked him to do that because what more can I say? What can I say that will wake you up? That'll shake you into the submission of knowledge of Christ. And the answer is, I can't say anything. This is said at all. The reality is, you're going to make a decision. You're going to make one right now. You'll reject this. Or you'll embrace it. The choice is yours. I want you to know I love you so much. Because of what Christ did in me. That I'm begging you. Begging you. Do not lay this book to the floor and walk away. You cannot risk this. The Holy Spirit will dwell in you. You will be led and you will be filled. But you've got to be broken beyond repentance and into obedience. Let's stand up. Let's sing a song together. I'm going to be down front.